Good afternoon. Welcome to North Point of View here with Dr. Walter Kimsey's. Walter, how are you? I'm good. You? I'm good, man. Um, big story uh, early this week on the ocean carriers, and there's a couple of layers to it, and there's potentially some long-term impact on uh, on this deal. Yeah. So the big news is that the Ocean Alliance called 2M is going to divorce in early 2025. So just to give the background to this, 90% of the containers that travel between Asia, Europe, and North America, they, um, they're controlled by 10 ocean carriers. Uh, Maersk used to be the largest, but MSC has bought a lot more ships and a lot bigger ships. So MSC uh, and, and, and Maersk were the 2M alliance. The other eight liners are organized in two other alliances called THE and Ocean. So uh, spelt ocean, but it's, you know we pronounce it differently. So um, those two have uh, been in an alliance for at least a good six, seven years, maybe longer, uh, and uh, they're they're really going different ways. You know, MSC is a is a big company that increases its scale and uses the scale economies, the lower cost bases, to be able to compete very aggressively on, on, on container rates. Maersk, uh, before the pandemic, and but this accelerated during the pandemic, said being in a commoditized business is not the greatest thing out there. So Maersk took a page out of the, the, the corporate strategy manual of Amports, that's uh, the biggest rural uh, terminal operator in the United States. Um, uh, and, and their idea was adopted by WWL, which is the biggest RORO uh, carrier in the world. And uh, during the time that I watched WWL, they actually ended up splitting into two. They had WWL Ocean and WWL Land. <clears throat> and what, what WWL did is they went into the factories of the cars car companies, and they would help them plan their production simultaneously with their logistics. This saved the car companies a lot of money. They were organized because as everybody finally learned in the last few years, your company is your supply chain or your supply chain is your company. Yeah. Okay, you no have doubt. all this other cute stuff, you know, the marketing, it's, that's fine, but it's the supply chain. You, if you can't get the product to the consumer, you won't have revenue and nothing else matters. So they went into the factories, but they did something else too. They, they learned to, uh, how to get the stuff over to the dealer, but keep the costs down. So typically in these uh, RORO operations at the, at the waterside, uh, the cars arrive not finished uh, because you know somebody orders a car and say Toyota, but they're gonna buy a Toyota. But before they place, they buy the, the car, Toyota already has partially finished cars on a ship on its way from Japan to the US. When it gets here, you retrofit them according to whatever you need. And usually there's a lot of the same, same you know, activities have to be done. So you can hire part-time workers uh, who, you know, for part-time wages, can sit there and do the repetitive you know, change to the car. And the, um, this is instead of the dealer using his master mechanic who gets 120 bucks an hour. So you save money that way. So they've penetrated from inside the factory to inside the dealership. 
And what we've seen with Maersk is they've done a, a string of acquisitions before the pandemic. They bought a company that specializes in last mile fulfillment so they can get to your customer's doorstep. They bought uh, Performance Team, which is a distribution center uh, uh, operator in, in various big cities. Um, so they bought, and then they bought another one in the US, I forgot who it was, but, and in Europe, they've done the same thing and they have been building their own distribution centers. And what Maersk is doing is instead of going port to port, which is what WWL was doing before, you know, this is a commoditized business. Anybody can buy a ship and operate a ship, you know, how, you, how do you make that, 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 those economic rents? So you go beyond the ports. And that's the Maersk view. And I don't see MSC doing that. I see MSC focusing on scale economies. So And so a lot of people weren't necessarily surprised to see this breakup, right? Yeah, it had been rumored for quite some time. Uh, the CEO for MSC came from Maersk. And what I have read in the magazines is that the current CEO, who, who just became CEO in January, because in December, the other one was announced he was going to retire. And so this, the CEO for MSC left Maersk and went to MSC to head that. And the two of them, when they were, you know, uh, C-level, but not CEOs, I'm, I'm told they didn't get along very well. So that just makes it even worse. And it was, um, so this was actually quite predictable. So Maersk is going to have to um, partner with some other liners in order to provide the same kind of global services that it offers today. Right. And so the other two alliances have a couple big companies and then lots of small ones or smaller ones. Uh, but CMA, CGM, the uh, French liner, uh, would be an interesting match. But I think after what happened in the last few years, after the U.S. passed the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, uh, you know, the ocean carriers in the spot market, they were getting up to $30,000 to move a 40-foot container yeah. from China. That was, out of, that was not good. So I don't know that the Federal Maritime Commission would necessarily agree on, on Maersk and CMA or MSC and CMA that, that it just doesn't look like it turned out very well. The, when the pandemic started and people weren't going to ship, the ocean carriers just voided tons of sailings and they were able to keep rates high. And then when the, the demand exploded for goods, uh, the, uh, the rates shot right through the roof. Yeah, they were there to capture it. Yeah, I think last year, I'm not sure what the numbers for last year, 2021, the, the ocean carriers made over $100 billion. Yeah. And it was the business to be in. So right now, after two years of this, these guys have big treasure chests. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But the key question is, will this impact the volumes at the ports? And I think, I, for the most part, I would say no. Um, the shift from the West Coast to the East and Gulf Coast is for reasons we've talked about before. You right. know. Um, but what could happen is some redistribution of volumes into, say, the East Coast, just because you know the, the new service element is, you know, calls, there's a different port rotation and it fits better. So you could see boxes shifted from Norfolk to Charleston or, or Savannah to Norfolk, uh, something like that could happen for the, what's called the port's discretionary market. So the further away you go from a port, the more other ports can compete for that business. But if, if 
But if you know, nobody's going to send a box for 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 Atlanta into New York. That's that's not a good idea. So Atlanta is not in the non-discretionary market for New York. New York has about 200 miles around it where you really just use the port. But as you go further and further away from New York, let's say to Chicago, then New York and Norfolk compete with each other. So you could see some boxes shift even between New York and say Norfolk. So there might be a little bit of that, but I don't think the, this will have any impact on, on East versus West. As, and as a matter of fact, as, as these guys, um, you know, are in an environment where uh, we are today, it seems like uh, what's happening here is we're uh, in the Southeast competing, uh, not so much with LA and Long Beach now, but it's uh, other southeastern port cities and uh, the Gulf port cities, right? Yeah, it does, it does, it does feel that way. <laughs> hey, uh, Walter, appreciate uh, the time with you. We'll see you soon. Yeah, see you soon. Take All care. right, thanks guys.